Is Genesis really important to today's Christian? Without Genesis, could we still have a good understanding of Christianity's main teachings? Genesis, the seedbed of all Christian doctrine, this week on Creation Magazine Live. God's Word, the Bible, is an accurate account of creation, and it tells us how people can have a relationship with the Creator. Honoring God and explaining aspects of His Word is the focus of this podcast. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Richard Fangrad. And I'm Calvin Smith. Now, our topic this week is Genesis, the seedbed of all Christian doctrine. That's our topic. Right. Everything in the Bible is connected with its first book, Genesis. This is because Genesis gives us the origin and initial explanation of all major biblical doctrines. That's right. This week we're going to look at major Christian doctrines and their connection with Genesis. For example, we'll look at the doctrine of God, that's theology, the doctrine of mankind, that's anthropology, the doctrine of sin, that's hamartiology, the doctrine of salvation, that's soteriology, the doctrine of angels, that's angelology, the doctrine of the church, that's ecclesiology, and the doctrine of last things, that's eschatology. Now, there are many others that we could study, but uh, we'll try to get through these in the next half hour. Right. Uh, obviously, not everything uh, is contained in, in just Genesis, the first book of the Bible. God reveals truths about himself and his creation and many other things over 66 books of the Bible written over some 15 centuries. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, pro a progressive revelation in doctrine throughout the Bible. From the first verse of, of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation, we learn more about God ourselves, sin, redemption, etc., with, with each successive book. Right, yeah, all the major doctrines of the Bible are like rivers that become deeper and broader as they flow from the initial watershed of Genesis. So let's get started with theology, the study of God. Right, so Genesis tells us uh, about God, not just as the creator, as seen in chapter 1, but also as the, the one who has a, a plan and a purpose for mankind. This plan and purpose involves our living in a relationship of, of obedience to God, as well as of, of trust and love for Him. And thus God is seen as lawgiver in His uh, command to Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.17 records it this way, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. By the way, the Hebrew nuances of the word die there uh, indicate both a process and an event. It's like, Adam, uh, you'll begin to die, you'll, you'll continue to die, and you'll eventually be dead. Dying you will die is the way the Hebrew Right, is. yeah. Then God is seen as judge following Adam's disobedience in Genesis 3, as well as in his judgment at the flood, at Babel, and then later at Sodom and Gomorrah. That's in Genesis chapter 6 to 9, chapter 11, and then chapter 19. Right, and, and God is also seen as a savior prophesied in, in uh, Genesis 3.15, yes. and uh, then in, uh, in action in his saving Noah and his family from the judgment of the flood, and Lot and his daughters from the judgment on Sodom in uh, Genesis uh, chapters 18 and 19. Right. As the creator of all things, God has absolute right to rule over all things, and he exercises this authority in the world, demonstrating his sovereignty. Uh, now, that's seen in four events in the creation, the fall, the flood, and at Babel. It's also seen in God's choice, call, and direction of four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Right, and another important aspect of God is, of course, his triune nature. Yes. Right, uh, God is, uh, is a trinity, and that can be seen in Genesis. The Hebrew word for God in chapter one is Elohim, it's plural. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image. 
So the, the Spirit of God is mentioned hovering over the waters in Genesis 1-2. Yeah. Christ is mentioned prophetically as the seed of the woman in Genesis 3-15. And this passage uh, also prophecies the virginal conception of, of Christ. That's why um, he's the seed of the woman in contrast with the usual biblical uh, pattern of listing only the fathers in the genealogy. Fathers, right, yeah. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we also see two very important attributes of God. The first is God's omniscience and omnipotence in that uh, everything that God did, he got right the first time. Uh, if you've never heard those terms before, omniscience means God knows everything, and omnipotence means he's all-powerful. Right. This means that in everything that God created, there was no experimentation, no trial and error, no oops, yeah. you know, like, like i got to do it again. Exactly. And, and then, of course, the second is that everything that God created was very good, Yeah. right? Uh, that, that's the way God describes his, his completed creation in Genesis 1.31. Uh, in the world at that time, there was no death, no suffering, no disease, no carnivory, no lack of any, any good thing. And we've summarized some of, the, of, of God's attributes as he reveals to us in, in, in Genesis. That's theology. Now let's move on to the doctrine of man or anthropology. Okay, uh, the, the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, appear in Genesis as special creations of God. Adam made from uh, the dust and Eve made from Adam's rib, both made by God in the image of God. It's recorded in Genesis in this way. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There we go. So we're, we're not evolved animals. We're not mere collections of chemicals. We're, we're not beings. Not according to Genesis. Yeah, with, with, <laughs> with a spiritual God-conscious nature. Yep. Um, Eve was created to be a companion for Adam, and from, uh, from this follows the, the doctrine of marriage, right? The, the basics of which are described in Genesis 2, 24. Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Yeah, the, this was confirmed by Jesus when he quoted that verse in Matthew 19, 4-6 as the union of one man and one woman for life, not the union of two men or two women, two women or, or, or something else. Right. And another key uh, anthrop anthropological truth <laughs> is that the whole human race is descended from Adam and Eve. Uh, Genesis 3.20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So everyone who has ever lived... Uh, is part of the same family, ultimately. Right, okay. So there are the basics of anthropology. Let's move on to hamartiology. That's the study of sin. Mm. Uh, sin simply means to miss the mark. And we all miss God's mark of righteousness. Most people understand that they're not perfect. Yet perfection is God's standard of righteousness. Mm. None of us reach that. Therefore, we're all missing the mark. We're all sinners. Therefore, no one deserves to go to heaven based on how good they are. No one is good enough. Right. So with the first man came the first sin seen in Genesis as violation of the law of God. That's in Genesis 3, 6 to 11. And as a sin nature that is uh, inherited by all of Adam's descendants, the whole human race. When God created Adam and Eve, they had, to, uh, they, they had the ability not to sin as well as being able to sin. When they chose to reject God's rule over them, they and mankind lost the ability not to sin. Instead, we've got a built-in sinful nature. Right. The, the first sin brought the first guilt. 
in Genesis 3, 8, uh, it, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They were guilty from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That, that was something new. Before they sinned, there was no guilt. Right. right. And, and, of course, the first sin also brought the first judgment. Yes. Right? God is, is perfectly loving and perfectly just. And since he is just, it means that all sin must be punished. That's justice. Uh, a judge who doesn't punish criminals is an unjust judge. Unjust judge, yeah. And, and God is not an unjust judge. Right. Genesis three fourteen and 19 describes how there would be an enmity. That, that means a hostility or an, or an animosity between Satan's seed, referring to unbelievers and, and possibly demons, mm. and the woman's seed, referring to believers, but specifically to Christ. Also, women and, and women and men would suffer in their respective roles. All humanity would now be subject to death, as it says in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right. So, so everyone inherits the, the sin nature from Adam, which yes. is why we all sin. And because we all sin, we all die. So we get the basics about the origin and nature of sin from the Genesis account. Right, it's right there. Of course, there's much more to it than that. Um, as additional truths are revealed in the rest of the Bible, we can come to an understanding that our sin separates us from a perfectly holy God. No sinner can ever get to heaven, heaven and everyone is a sinner. Obviously, that's, right. that's a problem. That's a huge, <laughs> huge problem. So, so the big question is, how can people get rid of their sin nature and how can their, their sins be paid for before they die and meet their maker? And we're basically summarizing what Christianity is all about. Right. Uh, yeah. What we're doing is uh, kind of summarizing reality, who God is, who we are, how and why there's a separation between God and people, uh, how that relationship can be mended, and the eternal destiny of people, uh, you know, where they're going to end up. And so summarizing key doctrines uh, that originate in Genesis, we're summarizing key aspects of reality. Right, yeah, summarizing. Yes. Summarize. We only, we've only got half an hour here, but, yeah. but we'll, we'll touch on some of the basics. The point is that Genesis really is an important mm. book. Now, what a shame that so many Christian leaders try to dismiss the history that it records there as, as an allegory for something else or a metaphor that, that Genesis really doesn't mean what it plainly says is, is what they're yeah, trying to say. I mean, that's the unfortunate effect that this you know, particular notion of, of millions of years and, and, uh, and of evolution have on Christian leaders, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, those ideas, especially the idea of millions of years, is so popular that people feel they're a fact. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. you know, m most people aren't aware of the massive scientific evidence against the, the old earth uh, concept. Right. And, uh, of course, that's hardly surprising since the millions of years are taught everywhere. Yeah, uh, that's why we do these shows. And we have a website with more than 10,000 articles now and growing with evidence supporting the history that the Bible records. The, the, the history is accurate, and therefore the doctrines that are derived from it originate from a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. But if the history Genesis records didn't really happen, then it's legitimate to question the doctrines that are based on it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Well, back to our, our subject here. Um, we've, we've covered what Genesis says about the doctrine of God, man, and sin. Now let's talk about the doctrine of salvation. That's soteriology. All right. So Romans 6.23 is very blunt. It says, for the wages, which is the penalty or the cost or the result of sin, is death. So death is the result of sin, and it's also the price required to pay for our sin. 
And since everyone sins, uh, God's justice would demand that each person must die and spend, uh, you know, forever separated from him as payment for their sins. Right. However, the Bible teaches that God, in his mercy and grace, decreed that our sins could be paid for by the death of a substitute. Mm -hmm. Another human could pay the price of death for our sins so that when we die, we can stand before God sinless. Mm -hmm. And not because we haven't sinned, but because the price for our sin has been paid for by a substitute. Right. Substitutionary atonement. Absolutely. But, of course, there's a catch there because the substitute yeah. needs to be a sinless human. Um, right. And uh, animals can't take away sins, so they aren't appropriate substitutes. Um, it can't be another sinful human because uh, they can only die to pay for their own sins, not right. everyone else's. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the answer? God himself became the substitute. He's provided salvation from, from the guilt, the power, the eternal penalty, and ultimately the presence of sin by becoming human, living a perfect, sinless life, and dying as a substitute for all those who place their faith in what Jesus did and trust their lives to him as Lord. That's the gospel. Yeah, as it says in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, uh, so if, if he's the Lord that makes you, uh, that makes you the servant, of course, right, yeah. and, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yep. Now, that's not in Genesis. Um, um, the in, enactment and, and fulfillment of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus isn't seen uh, until the Gospels, of course. However, the prediction and promise of what was to come is first seen in Genesis. It's the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Of course, we see that in Genesis 3.15. Right, and, and the seed is a descendant of the first man, Adam, and is called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15.45. That's essential because Isaiah spoke of this coming Savior as literally the kinsman redeemer. That is, one who is related by blood to those he redeems. Right. The, bo the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, 11 to 18, also explains how Jesus took upon himself the nature of a man to save mankind. Right. But not angels. This vital kinsman-redeemer concept is sourced in Genesis. Right. Also in Genesis, we read about the beginning of the Jewish nation within which the Messiah would be born, die, and rise from the dead. It's seen for the first time in the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. Right. And the substitutionary nature of sacrifice is first seen in Genesis 22, 1-13, where Abraham is directed to offer a ram as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. Now, so there, beginning in Genesis, we have the foundation of the substitutionary aspect of salvation, the prophecy that the Redeemer would be human, a descendant of Adam and Eve, and that he would come from the Jewish nation, a descendant of Abraham, and a, a lot of key aspects of salvation are rooted there in Genesis. And much of the content for this week's show actually comes from an article on our website, and you can read it at uh, creation.com slash seedbed. Yes. What about the doctrine of angels? A lot of weird ideas out there about angels. So right. we, we can clear up a lot of the confusion by going to God's Word to see what God has revealed about the angels He created. Good place to start. Uh, just when uh, God created the angels is, is not mentioned in the Bible, but it was probably before He created the earth uh, in Genesis 1-1, or at least before the dry land appeared in Genesis 1-9. Because according to Job 38-4-7, when God laid the foundations of the earth, the sons of God shouted for joy. And, of course, that's referring to the angels. Right, yeah. As God is not the author of evil, and because he pronounced his whole creation, and that would include the angels, uh, since they were created, 
to be very good at the end of day six of creation week, as it says in Genesis 1.31, that means that the angel Lucifer, who's now the being we call Satan, had not fallen into sin at that time. Right, and in Genesis 3, 1 to 14, we read the first reference to this being uh, who slanders God and who tempted Eve mm. to rebel against God and whose ultimate destiny is uh, foretold by God in Genesis 3:15 that his head would be bruised. It means he'll be destroyed. Right. Uh, everywhere in the Bible, we learn that the name of this creature is Satan, which means slanderer. And the first Sorry. reference to, yeah. to good angels is in uh, Genesis 3:24 where cherubim are placed in the Garden of Eden by God to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Yeah, so there in Genesis are the basics regarding angels. Now let's move on to ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. Right. The doctrine of the church is revealed in the New Testament. It's one of the things that the Apostle Paul calls a, a mystery of the past, meaning a, a previously unrevealed truth, yeah. now revealed as a, as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. However, the fact that Paul calls the church the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5, 23 to 32, brings us back to the first divinely ordained husband-wife relationship, which is Genesis 2, 24. There we go, back to Genesis. Mm -hmm. And note especially verse 31 and 32 of, of that Ephesians passage there. Uh, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and, they sh and, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Mm. Amazing. The marriage relationship is a shadow or a copy of the relationship between believers and Christ. Right, and, and the church is also foreshadowed in Genesis, with Abraham being called out to form the nation of Israel uh, through his descendants. God blessed them, and they were also to be a blessing to all, all people on earth. We read this in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right. And that blessing culminated in the one unique offspring of Abraham, Jesus himself, mm. as Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And he was to be the source of blessing not just to the Jews, uh, but to all the nations. Right. Galatians 3.14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Right, and Paul tells us in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, those who belong to Christ, that is, those who believe that he paid for their sins on the cross and have turned to him in repentance, those people are his true church. That's right. what the church is. Genesis is a foundation for so many things. It's important to take yep. Genesis as it's written and not to impose outside ideas like millions of years into the text. As with all other forms of literature in the Bible, in order for readers to know what the original author intended to communicate, we must take it in the way it was written. Right, and there's many different literary forms in the Bible, right? There's, there's poetry, there's parables, there's prophecy, there's uh, apocalyptic literature like in Revelation, right. and there's historical narrative. In each case, it should be taken as it's written. Take parables as parables. Don't make them out to be historical accounts. They're parables. Yeah. Take the historical narrative as actual accounts of history. Don't twist the text to pretend that it's supposed to be some analogy for something else. And the last one when we look at here is uh, 
but the last things, which is eschatology. Eschatology, yes. The, the main aspects of what are called the last things are uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the future resurrection or resurrections of the dead, uh, the judgment of all mankind, and the final state of Christ followers, the redeemed, and that of everyone else. Those are the basic last things. Right, and of course, by their very nature, being the last things, you're not going to expect to find those things detailed uh, in Genesis. Right. But um, they are the outworking of God's ultimate plan and purpose for mankind, the earth, and the universe. He purposed to provide an eternal bride for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from redeemed humanity. And he set this plan into action when he created the heavens and the earth. And mankind is recorded in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. Now what we see in Genesis is God beginning the process which will ultimately bring about his purpose. A plan that was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. As Ephesians 1.4 reveals... Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Also, while, while the last things that they aren't detailed in Genesis, um, the places where they are detailed make uh, no sense without it. So, Revelation 21 4, for example, says that in the eternal state, there will once again be no more death or suffering of, of any kind. That's because, as it says in Revelation 22 3, there shall be no more curse. Right goes back to Genesis. Mm -hmm. There will also be a restoration to an Eden-like state with the return of the tree of life, Genesis. Mm -hmm. Genesis 1 and 2 describe a world that is very good. Uh, before the entrance of sin, death, disease, and the curse on creation. And, and by the way, those two chapters are not contradictory accounts of creation. <laughs> They're different and taken together they give the most details about how God created everything. That's similar to the gospel accounts. Uh, the, the four accounts of Jesus' life are all slightly different but take them all together to get the most complete picture of the life of Christ. Right. Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, describe the restored new heavens and new earth. Yes. Uh, those four chapters are like bookends. You have the first two chapters of Genesis giving details about the initial world uh, before sin and the curse, and the last two chapters of Revelation giving details about the world when sin and the curse are eliminated. Right, yeah. There, there are so many more details that we could discuss. Uh, we, we've done episodes before on a number of these topics. Uh, one of them just, just last year on what will the restoration be like according to Genesis. You can watch that at creation.com slash cml5-09 last year. Yeah. Yeah. So understanding the nature of the initial creation uh, as recorded in Genesis uh, really is the key to understanding what the restoration will be like. And if yeah. you believe that the beginning was billions of years of sin, death, suffering, pain, cancer, some kind of evolutionary millions of years process, then how can we expect the what's new the, heavens and the new earth, what exactly is God going to restore What's the to? Rest restoration going to be like? And that's what we tackled in detail on that show. That's right. Um, so lots of, lots of other stuff there. But yep. yeah, Genesis is so foundational. It's, it's an important message that as a ministry, Creation Ministries International, that's a message we want to get out. Mm -hmm. You cannot just twist the text, text to get it to mean whatever you want it to mean. It doesn't work. You can't tell God what he really means based on, well, now we, now we have modern science. And so right. we're, going to, we're going to rearrange what God revealed, what he said, and we'll tell God what he, how he really created. It, it doesn't right. work that way. I mean, it's so important um, to understand these things. See you next week. 
Both the Creation Magazine live TV show and this podcast are produced by Creation Ministries International, a global think tank organization dedicated to disseminating the huge amount of scientific evidence for the accuracy of the biblical account of the origin of our universe. If you'd like to donate to keep this information coming, go to creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.